0: Well, good morning, everyone. Have you been blessed so far? And uh, have you learned something new? Have you learned something you can apply? And we're going to talk about, the next two days, how to get, right, and give Bible studies. How many of you have given Bible studies before? All right. How many of you realize you need some help after you gave that Bible study? You need some very basic, fundamental things, and we're hopefully going to help you with that. And today we're going to talk about mostly how to get Bible studies. And then tomorrow we're going to focus on how to write and give Bible studies. And by the time you leave tomorrow, hopefully, if we have enough time, usually we have a little bit more time, we will actually write a Bible study. And I'll teach you how to how to prepare a Bible study from a lesson that you might use, like the landmarks of prophecy or the It Is Written Studies. Then I'll teach you how to write a Bible study from scratch. All you have is a Bible, a pen, and a piece of paper, and maybe a concordance. Uh, And I'll teach you how to write a Bible study from nothing on any subject. Does that sound good? And uh, we will... then you step up just a bit. All right. So we're going to get started. We're going to probably, in the next little bit, we're going to do some review from probably what you've already heard, but it's good. I'll try to be brief on that, but... uh, I see some of my church members here and former church members, so that's a blessing, and uh, excited about that. We're actually going to have a 10-day Emmanuel session down in Lansing, September 8 to 17. So if you didn't get enough here and you say, man, I want the full version, the all-day version, you guys could come to that, and they'll be doing those all over the place, so we're excited. I did work at Amazing Facts for about five years. I worked at the Center of Evangelism. Had a great time, had a, trained a lot of students who are now working in ministry in different places as pastors and Bible workers and evangelists, even. And so the Lord is, uh, is blessed. And the reason I can give you very valuable information is because I have made a ton of mistakes. So if there's anything I can tell you, it's what you shouldn't do, okay? So, does that sound fair? So I'll help you not make the same mistakes, because we've all blown it at some time or another. We've all made mistakes. But do you think that God in His foreknowledge knew that we would do that, yes or no? And the only way to avoid those mistakes and to get better from them is to keep what? Keep doing it. And the more you do it, the more God teaches you, and if you read the Gospels, you find the apostles, early apostles made a few mistakes, didn't they? And so God expects that, but there's something powerful, there's something life-changing and transformational when the God of heaven uses you to win a soul to Him. There's something that happens not just in their heart, but in your heart. And let me tell you, friends, my faith probably would have died long ago if it had not been for me sharing it with others. And every time I get in a spiritual rut, every time I get my, find myself just kind of declining and becoming discouraged, I pray to God, God, sends someone into my life that I can speak to about you. And he does it every time, and it always revitalizes my faith. Some of the times I've been the most depressed. You know why a lot of Adventists are kind of sour, and they're kind of discouraged, and they're kind of depressed? you know why that's the case? It's because most of them are not sharing the gospel with other people. When you do that, you cannot help but become on fire. And so God wants to use you. He wants to do great things through you, and you will change. When you begin to do this, you will change. How many of you know this fire that I'm talking about already? You've tasted it, you love it, and you just want more and more of it. You just want to quit your jobs and just do full-time Bible work, right? I remember when I was um, in college, I became a Seventh-day Adventist when I was 22 years old. I was going to a state university. This was back in 2002. And I was an atheist. I was a hardcore atheist. I hated Christians. I hated the Bible. I wanted nothing to do with it. I thought it was the most foolish stuff on the planet. And I used to ridicule Christians. You know, they have this little campus ministry thing. Uh, My brother Daniel back there, they had campus ministry. They used to come and talk to me. And I would make them leave in tears. That's how nasty I was. And I got to the point in my life where I was going to commit suicide because I was so depressed and had no purpose in life. My mother had attempted suicide when I was 17. I walked in on her dying. Fortunately, uh, I called the ambulance and and God saved her life. And so I had all all this baggage in my life, and I was ready to kill myself. And I actually studied the Bible to prove it false. And the only Seventh-day Adventist in my family at that time was my uncle and my aunt. They were first-generation Adventists. Gave me some Bible studies. And I took those Bible studies, and I took a Bible that my grandmother had given me many years before. You don't, even if you're an atheist and your grandma gives you a Bible, you just don't throw that away. Because grandma gave it to you, right? I have a little box with all the stuff that my grandparents gave me, and in there was this little Bible. I knocked the dust off that thing, and I started to try to prove it wrong. So I went through the Amazing Facts Bible Study Guides, and uh, as I went through those, truth began to be open to me. And this stuff made more sense than anything else I had ever seen. And so as I, as I studied those prophecies, I found evidence that the Bible could be trusted, that it was true. And, you know, the prophecies reveal um, the truth of our world from ancient days until now. It speaks to 2016. So as this just became real to me, I began to go to my professors and I began to say, look, Um, This is what I'm finding from the Bible. I know you think it's false, and I did too, but what do you say about this? How can the the Bible and how could Daniel predict 2,500 years worth of world history with 100% accuracy way before it ever happened? And you know what their answer was? We don't have time to talk to you about that. So they didn't want to talk about it. And so I went back to my room and I kept studying. And I came to the conclusion, I came to this crossroads where I had to decide for myself, is the Bible real? Can it be trusted? Or is it really a book of fairy tales? And so the conviction was so heavy in my heart, I knew the answer to that question. And I accepted the Bible as truth. And then I began to read the Gospels and I came face to face with Christ. And I saw how nasty my life was and how righteous his life was. And make a long story longer, I knelt down and I accepted the Lord. 22 years old in my college apartment, former atheist on a state university campus, and my life radically changed forever. Now, what fueled that faith, it wasn't just the excitement of receiving Jesus. That's wonderful. It's joyous. But the greater joy came when I began to see others whose lives were changed through a sinful person like me. God expects you to make mistakes. He knows you will. He knows you will. However, He will teach you. The Spirit of God will instruct you. Angels of God will come to help you. And God will transform others' lives through yours. And that's the most wonderful thing in the world. You You can only take two things to heaven with you, right? Your character and your, and who? What? The people that you win to Christ. You don't want to be standing alone in the sea of glass that day, amen. You want to be standing there with a whole host, a whole flock, including your family, and saying, Lord, these are the ones that you gave me, and they are here by the grace of God. And let me tell you, friends, it's not just the work that you do. Your work will profit nothing. You need to spend as much time, in fact, twice as much time on your knees praying for these people because it's the Holy Spirit that really does the work. You're just the channel. The grace, joy of doing this work is not seeing what you're doing. It's seeing what the Holy Spirit is doing through you. That's the greater joy. That's the power. That's the, that's the life that comes to your soul when you experience soul winning. Amen? Amen. All right. So with that being said, let's uh, pray together. We're going to dive in because I'm already burning time here. And so let's just bow our heads together. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be here. We're excited, Lord. We see your hand working all across Michigan through the Grow Michigan campaign, the Unlock Revelation. And Lord, we want more. We've not seen the great things that you're willing to do in and through us when we consecrate ourselves to you. Lord, may we experience in our lives absolute, total surrender that you might work to the fullness through us individually, through us collectively in our local church, and on the greater scale in the Michigan Conference. And so, Father, we dedicate ourselves to you just now asking you to illuminate our hearts, open our minds, and help us understand these very simple yet profound truths and principles. We ask it in Jesus' name that all God's people say, amen. All right. How many of you have been blessed by the Grow Michigan campaign? Amen. How many of you are looking forward to the Bible study reformation this fall? That's why you're here, right? You're here because of that purpose. And let me tell you, this is something that's revolutionary. I believe that this is what Ellen White was talking about at the end of time when she said, I saw thousands going out from door to door giving Bible studies. And let me just say this, friends. Is it possible that when she had that vision of people going door to door to door, reaching out to people giving Bible studies, sharing the truth with them, sharing Christ with them, is it possible that when she had that vision about the end of time that she saw your face in that vision? Possible, isn't it? It's possible. Imagine that. So we're going to talk more about, you guys have talked about, I think, Pastor Cameron did an excellent job yesterday going through the cycle of evangelism. How many of you remember that? The seed sowing and and so forth. So we talked about that. And primarily what I'm going to deal with the next two days is the cultivating stage. And this is the stage that we often have the most difficulty with, right? Because everybody's afraid to do what? To give Bible studies, right? How many of you are nervous about giving Bible studies? But look, the reality is this. <clears throat> Everybody gets nervous. I still get nervous. We all get nervous. But the joy that we experience in doing it is greater than the nervousness that would prevent us from doing it. Amen? The urgent need of the times in which we live today is greater than what we are worried about for ourselves, right? If, we're, if we do not follow the command of Christ to go forward, and to give those Bible studies and to be involved in soul winning, then do you think, let me just ask you, I'm not telling you this, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, I'm just asking you, you think that's a pretty selfish thing to do, yes or no? To not do that which Christ has called us to do because we're afraid of what someone's going to think of us or say about us. you think that's a selfish thing, yes or no? It's very selfish. And as Seventh-day Adventist friends, we need to think on the larger scale, amen? We need to be called and stepping out of our comfort zones, and God calls us to that because when He does it, it's not because He wants us to feel all uncomfortable, but He understands the end result. the joy. Just like Jesus, He endured the cross because of the joy that was set before Him, and that joy was your salvation and my salvation, but we need not be selfish in our salvation, right? We need not be selfish in the truth of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, the message that God has for the world in the last days. And so we must step out by the grace of God and step forward, and God will use us, and it will be the greatest joy of our lives. So we're going to talk about today how to get Bible studies. How many of you, did you guys already cover this this quote, yes or no? Mystery of Healing, page 143. All right, let's just review it again. Christ's method alone. How many methods? One. One method, and whose method is it? Do you think he'll let us use it? Yeah, Yeah, he'll let us use it, won't he? Christ's method alone will give true success. Now, can you have success? Yes or no? Can you pack your church with all kinds of people? Yes or no? Can you use the world's methods? I mean, you can, right? You can use coffee shops. You can use bowling. In fact, there's a church around the corner from my church in Lansing. They have a bowling alley and a full basketball court, and they do everything to bring all the people in. We just baptized a guy about three weeks ago who went to that church, and he said, you know, they got bowling alleys and, and, and all these different things. He says, but when it came to the spiritual stuff, it was so shallow. He says, but there was like hundreds of young people there. Can you use the world's means to bring people into your church? What do you think? And, and they'll be there, and it will seem successful because look how many people were here. But is it true success? There's only one way to have true success, and that's how? It's Christ's method. Now, we have a twisted view of success because does success always mean large multitudes, yes or no? No. If you read the writings of Ellen White, she talks about that true success, she says it'd be better to have one truly converted person than how many? And how many? Ten or a hundred, right? So, numbers aren't always the indicator of success. However, if we do God's method, will God give us numbers? What do you think? God will give us numbers, won't he? My father-in-law said a very wise thing once. He said success is not a number. Success is in doing the work. Amen? Because look, the reality is this. We want to win souls, don't we? We want to win souls to the truth. But that's not always just the bigger picture. The bigger picture is that we're giving people the opportunity to accept or reject. Are you with me? And Jesus said ahead of time, he told us so that we'd be prepared to understand it, that there will be people who will reject the message. Does that make sense? So that shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't scare us. It shouldn't prevent us from doing it because we're calling them to decision. Now, we want them and we're praying for them to make the right decision, but we're calling them to a decision to follow or reject Jesus. So this may sound strange. It may sound obscure. It may sound weird. But when people reject the message after they've received an understanding of the truth, is that also success? It is. Because because Jesus didn't call us to simply win souls. He He called us to preach the whole message, the broader message. Does that make sense? And it's up to the Holy Spirit to convict and bring. He just called us to do the work. The results are up to who? They're up to him. But when we're faithful in doing that, God's going to bring results, isn't he? He's going to bring results. <clears throat> I mean, one of his own disciples was lost. Does that make sense? So we need, not, we need to, to bear the weight on our shoulders of proclaiming the message, of sharing the message, but not bear the weight of the results. Does that make sense? Ellen White says that in Steps of Christ. Now, I want you to understand something else. <clears throat> Adventists have gotten into a very terrible, very, very terrible mindset. And that mindset is, well, we'll just sow some seeds and let the Lord do the rest, right? We're just going to sow seeds. So we, let me just back up here. So, Adventists, many times, is there a little red thing on this, a pointer? Is it this right here? There we go. Adventists have gotten stuck in this little section right here. Are you with me? And we do this right here. And I think you've heard people say that. I'm sorry, we do harvesting. But we do not do this. And this is the portion that everybody is scared of. But that's the section that gives you the greatest results in your soul winning. So do you think there's a possibility that that's why Satan has caused everybody in the Adventist church to be afraid of it because he knows that that's what's going to bring the greatest results to the kingdom of God. What do you think? So we, get it, so we as Adventists say, we say, oh, well, you know, we're just going to go out and give out some glow tracks and we're going to give out some literature and we're just going to praise the Lord that we did our evangelism for today, right, or maybe for the year. And we get stuck in this mindset, that as long as I sow some seeds. How many of you, now listen, I just planted a garden, my first garden ever. And I labored like nobody's business to get that thing up and going before camp meeting. I built these boxes. I put the soil in. I, 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 I built a fence around it to keep the rabbits out. And I did all this stuff in like two days, a week's work worth in like two days. I was up till two in the morning working on this garden. And then I went out there and I put my seeds. Actually, I use little plants. Well, let's just say I use seeds. And I went out there and I put those seeds in the ground. And I say, well, I did all that work to plant my seeds. Now, whether they come up or not and whether I get any fruit, I don't really care. That's up to God. I'm not really worried about it. I'm just going to plant those seeds and be done with it. <clears throat> that, was, that was quite fun, wasn't it? How many of you plant a seed and you don't expect to get a tomato? right? You plant tomato seeds, you expect to get what? Tomatoes. You plant some squash seeds, you expect to get what? Squash. It's no different with soul winning. You plant the seeds of soul winning and you expect to get what? Souls. And you don't quit gardening over the summer until in the fall, late summer and fall, when you get the what? When you get the harvest. You don't quit labor. You don't plant the seeds and then go in and watch TV all summer, you weed that thing, you fertilize that thing, you water that thing until, and it grows, and you may have to tie your, your plants to, to posts, and all these different things, right? So you expect fruit at the end of the summer. Why do you not expect fruit from our labors in soul winning if we're following the same process? We have a, have, must have a different mindset. We must have a change in our thought process that we're just not about sowing seeds as Seventh-day Now, we're about sowing seeds, aren't we? We want to sow seeds, but we're not just about that. We also want to what? Harvest. And God, do you think God wants to give us a harvest? You know why He gives you tomato plants every fall? You know why He gives you to, tomatoes? You know why He gives you a squash and zucchini? Because he's been trying for years to get it through your mind that he wants to give you the same results and soul winning. That's why he does it. He wants you to see the importance of it. Now, I've gone on enough about that. Going back, the Christ method alone will give you what kind of success? We want true success. I'd rather have one baptism who's faithfully and truly converted than have ten that I can report to the conference who leave the next weekend. I think all of you feel the same, right? We want disciples. We don't want baptisms. We want disciples. The Savior mingled with them. So how did he do it? He did what? He mingled. What does it mean to mingle? It means to be available and to be where those people are, right? You want to be where those people are. He mingled with men as one who desired their good. He did what? What was the second thing he did? Showed sympathy. If you hang around with somebody long enough, are they going to start telling you their problems? Yes or no? They're going to start telling you their problems. And listen, friends, Adventists have become masters at, well, when so, we come into the church and we say what? Happy Sabbath. How are you today? And what's the good old Adventist response? Good. Oh, good. Wonderful. So good. But what if I, my sister says, Happy Sabbath. How are you today? Oh, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm going to pray for you, but uh, God bless you. And I go to the other side of the church, and I don't even talk to her, right? And also, more importantly, for visitors that come to the door, right? So we don't know how to sympathize because we don't want to be bogged down. But did you know, friends, that other people's problems are one of the greatest opportunities to be a witness to them? Did you know that? We want to get involved in other people's problems because as you mingle with them, they begin to, you don't show sympathy for somebody who's doing great, right? Yeah, I just got a raise, just paid off my house this week. I just paid off my car this week. I just bought a brand new boat, paid cash for it. You know, my kids are doing well. They got, they're on the honor roll. Oh, you know, let me sympathize with you on that. We don't do that, do we? We sympathize with those who what? Have problems and troubles. And we need to, by the grace of God, make ourselves available to those people. Amen? So he, set, he sympathized with them, for them, and then he did what? He didn't just say, oh, I'm really sorry about that. He did what? He did something about it. Now listen, we can't solve everybody's problems, okay? I'm not suggesting that, okay? But we can do what we can to relieve and help them, right? You know, if they got a whole host of problems, and one of the problems is, you know, I don't know how I'm going to feed my kids this week. I can do what? I can go buy them $50 worth of groceries or whatever, right? I can help them in some capacity. And the key is not, God's not asking us to solve all their problems. He's not asking us to support them. He's asking us to sympathize and what? Minister, okay? And when I minister to them, what does it do? It wins their what? Their confidence. I can't tell you how many times, friends, You know, just the other day, just the other day, I I go to Chipotle. Chipotle is one of my favorite places to eat. In fact, I've just gotten two gift cards in last week from people. Now, some of you might say, oh, well, they had all that E. coli and stuff. They, They were sabotaged. Chipotle is the best place, fast food place. They have real food there. Amen? And there's one just around from the church. So I go to Chipotle, and I'm there, and I'm talking to this officer Right, he's a, he's a police officer, and behind him is, a, is an army soldier. He, I don't, I don't, he's in the army. I don't know exactly everything about him. But anyway, I'm talking to this officer, and I ask him if he knows my church member. My church member used to be uh, head of the fire department were in Lansing. And he says, oh, yeah, I know him. And I asked him if he knew someone else. Oh, yeah, I know him. We're just chatting there. And when we get up to pay, guess what I did? I paid for his meal. And for the army guy behind. I'm not saying that to credit myself. I'm just telling you what happened. And so the lady at the register, she knows me. And she was just so happy that I did that. Well, the next time, I co- she sees me on a regular basis. I go there twice a week probably. I went back the next time. She says, oh, I'm so thankful for what you did. She says, We're, I'm going to cover your burrito today. They give me free food all the time in there. It's one of the reasons I love it. And so ministering opens up what? Opportunity. She knows I'm a pastor. She's watching me carefully. And she's seeing how I respond in different situations. I'm building that bridge with her. And God is opening the door. Because if I don't know if you ever go to Chipotle, there's like people with piercings and purple hair that are serving. And it's a great witnessing place. Amen? But when you minister to people, it wins their want. Confidence. It wins their confidence. You know, I go to Taco Bell sometimes and I'll, I'll uh, pay for the person behind me. And then I have some glow tracks in my, in my hand and I say, I want to pay for the person behind me. And it doesn't just impress the person behind me, it also impresses who? The window clerk, right? So I say, I want to give these, if you could take these and give them to the person behind me, and then these are for you. And they take them because it what? I've won there. Confidence. Now, you could win someone's confidence in five minutes, or it may take you 50 years to win someone's confidence. You might now also, you can also lose their confidence, can't you? You may spend 50 years winning someone's confidence and destroy it in one minute by losing your temper, can't you? But this is Christ's method. It's not rocket science. It's not diffi- if it was rocket science, I couldn't be here teaching it. If it were difficult, I'm not a smart person. I couldn't be here teaching it. But it's simple. And then he bade them what? Come follow me. It's not hard, guys. It's very easy. It's very beautiful. And it's a method that only could be born by divine inspiration. Amen? It's the method that Jesus used. Now, did Jesus baptize very many people? He didn't, did he? But he opened the door for who? As apostles to baptize, amen. So, making friends, winning confidence, and what? Sharing the word. How many of you think you can be a friend to somebody? How many think you can sympathize with them? How many think you can minister to their needs? and, And and the Holy Spirit will help them to win their confidence. And how many of you think you can invite them to say, hey, I got something more I think that would be a blessing to you? How many think you can do that? It's very simple. All right, so only friends can be friends to Jesus. Bring a friend, develop trust, and then share God's Word. I'm going to talk about, real quickly, the ABCs of soul winning. We're going to give you these notes somehow, some way, so I don't want you to stress out about writing everything down. You can write if you want to, but just know that you'll get these. The ABCs of soul winning, it's so simple, friends. It's so easy. The A is what? It's acceptance, and there, oh, you're good. And there's two A's under acceptance: agreement and then approval. And agreement is, very simply, accept, uh, agreeing people with people where you can. Now, Adventists are lovers of truth, aren't we? But Jesus says, "I'm looking for a people who worship me in both spirit and what? And truth, right? So we have the truth. We know that. But do you know why the evangelical churches are filling up? One reason. There's other reasons. Because they worship God in spirit. It may not always be the Holy Spirit. (laughs) But they are very spiritual in reaching out to people. They love people. They accept them. And they take them in. Does that make sense? And imagine, friends, if we could love people the way that Jesus commanded And we also have the truth. How powerful would that be? There's a lot of Adventists that have the truth. There's not a lot of Adventists that have the spirit of God. They have a spirit, some of them. But it's not always God's spirit. We want God's spirit, amen? So when I agree, agreement, you know, sometimes we're more concerned about correcting people and their understanding or their misunderstanding of truth than we are about winning their hearts. If you win their hearts first, the truth will naturally come. But if you just slam them with the truth without winning their hearts, it's going to put up obstacles and blocks. Now what that doesn't mean, what that doesn't mean, because on the flip side, we have this movement within the Adventist Church today that just says, oh, accept and love everybody and it doesn't really matter what they believe, just bring them in and we'll baptize them and, and we don't ever tell them the truth. Does that make sense? You got to have the right balance, spirit and truth. Okay, so let's just suppose you're sitting there with, with uh, some lady, and she says, you know, and, and maybe she said yes to Bible studies, and you're on your first Bible study about Daniel two or whatever, and uh, she's sitting there, and she says, yeah, she says, I'm just so thankful for these Bible studies because my heart has really been breaking because you know my grandmother she died three weeks ago, and. I know she's in a better place. I know she's looking down on me, caring after me, and, but I just miss her so much. And you come in, you say, no, your grandmother's not in heaven. Where is she? She's in the grave. She's sleeping. Don't you know what the Bible says? Let me show you. And you stop your Bible study on Daniel 2, and you go to all the texts about sleeping, and what does that do for that person? That's right. You don't always have to correct people right in that moment. <clears throat> right? Jesus didn't. And she says, so if she says that, what can I, how can I respond instead? I can sympathize with I'm so sorry you lost your grandmother. I know that must have been really painful for you. You know, Jesus promises us peace and hope. And he promises that one day you can see your grandmother again. He gives us that hope. He puts it in our hearts. In fact, in fact, we have a Bible study that's going to talk all about that. What happens when we die? What has your grandmother been experiencing? We have a Bible study on that. We're going to talk about that coming up, right? You don't have to correct in that moment. Does that make sense? Agree where you can. You know, I'm, I know that God has a plan for your grandmother. When Jesus returns... When we're all in heaven together, it's going to be a great joy for you to be reunited with your grandmother. That puts hope in our heart. And what else does that do? It wins confidence, doesn't it? It wins confidence. Secondly, small agreements will win confidence and prepare the way for, for bigger agreements. So I agree where I can, and I don't have to correct them because we don't need to correct them, do we? As we open the Bible in a continued series of studies, what's going to happen, friends? they're going to be convicted of the truth and you can't convict a single soul. Even for one second, you can't convict them. But the Bible will convict, amen? The Spirit of God will convict. Don't fracture relationships with unnecessary or harsh disagreements. Approval. Secondly, Jesus demonstrated acceptance by agreeing with people where he could, approving them, complimenting them, and by appreciating them. They don't have to approve of you before you approve of them. And so, Jesus would approve. Give me some examples of when Jesus approved someone. I'm not, now, I'm not referring to when they do something wrong, but where, what other places does he? The woman at the well, right? What else? Huh? Say again? The woman with the two mites, right? Zacchaeus, right? Who else? Also, the, wasn't it wasn't the church of um, Philadelphia, one of the churches was saying, yeah, the seven churches, right? The seven churches in Revelation. He, he approves them, right? How about, the, how about Mary when she came and poured the oil on his foot, right? Judas rebuked her, and then he. That's right, the man on the fig tree, right? So Je, Jesus knew this. He knew that. And yeah, Nathaniel, when he, he. I think it was Nathaniel, wasn't it? He came to him and he says, There's is an Israelite indeed, a man who's, who has no guile in his mouth, right? So Jesus complimented people. He approved people. And you will be amazed, friends, how quickly people's demeanor will change when they're nasty to you and you respond to them in kindness. It's just mind-blowing to see it. It's only by the Holy Spirit. So I'll tell you, you know, this one time I was in California and I was, I, 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 when I worked at Amazing Facts, and I lived in this duplex. And I lived on one side and this other family lived on the other side of me. And this guy was like something else. His name was Joe. And Joe would smoke pot, he would smoke cigarettes, he would drink beer. And every day, he would start his beer drinking at about 3 o'clock. And uh, you'd always hear him and his wife next door just fighting and carrying on. And you'd hear dishes crashing. And a couple of times, I ended up calling the cops on him because I could hear him throwing her up against the wall and stuff. Uh, but Joe would come over, and he would talk to me, and he would flirt with my wife, and and I'm just like, I'm just, just like, what's the matter with this guy? One time I, I I had to pick up a suit from the dry cleaner for an international trip I was going on, and like I had no one else that could do it, like no one else, and I and I just thought my only hope is Joe, right? So uh, <laughs> that's desperate, okay? So I go next door, and I say to Joe, I say, Joe. Do, you know, I said, I, I really need a favor, I'd be even be willing to pay you ten bucks for it. He says, What's that? And he says, I says, I need you to pick up my suit from the dry cleaners It's just down the street. Takes you two minutes to get there. Oh, yeah, yeah, no problem, man. What, what do you need when do you need me to do that? I said, I need you to do it tomorrow at like five o'clock, before five o'clock, between three and five. He says, Oh no, man. He says, I'm sorry. He says, I can't do that. I said, Well, why not? Do you have an appointment? He says, Well, he says, that's when I start drinking. He said, and he was so proud of himself, he says, I don't ever drink and drive. He says, so there's no way I can go because that's when I start my drinking and I'm not going to be out on the road. I'm just thinking, what in the world? So I start praying for Joe, right? And one day I get a knock on my door. I open the door and there's Joe. He's got a cigarette in his hand. He's got a beer in his hand. And he says, you know, he says, I've been watching you, how you conduct yourself. He says, I believe you're a true Christian. I said, well, I appreciate that, Joe. And he says, I'm wondering if you would study the Bible with me. He came to me, came to me, even after I had called the cops on him. I told him I did. I said, brother, I was thinking of your wife, man. You were in a rage. Another time, I called the cops on him. Another time, he was out in the street trying to fight one of the other neighbors. He pulled his shirt off, standing there without any shirt on, just screaming in the middle of the road. And he says, could you come study the Bible with me? What do you think my answer was? Yes. Of course, Joe, I'm going to come and study the Bible with you. So we started the, studying the Bible, and we studied Daniel chapter 1. We talked about what it means to give our heart to God. And that Daniel gave, It says when Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself, the, the actual uh, a more accurate translation is he gave his heart to God, gave it to God. And I said, Joe, would you like to give your heart to God? He said, yeah. So when when I went over to study with him, he's sitting there, and he's got a beer in his hand and smoking a cigarette while we do our Bible study. So, you know, I didn't say a word to him. After two or three meetings of studying the Bible, he says to me, you've never said anything to me about smoking and drinking during our Bible study. He says, what does the Bible say about that? Can you imagine? I said, well, Joe, let let me tell you something. I says, when a man invites me to his house, I don't go to his house and tell him what to do. This is your house. You do whatever you want to. I'm going to study the Bible with you no matter what, as long as you're able to mentally do it. And he just looked at me and he says, no one's ever been like that to me before. And it wasn't me, it was God. And he says, what does the Bible say about smoking and drinking? I said, we'll talk about that. Who is convicting him? Holy Spirit. I did a simplified Bible study with him because I didn't want to wait that long. I did a simplified Bible study. I didn't hammer him on all the unclean meats and all this stuff. I just talked to him about what the Bible says about uh, the body being the temple of God and that whatever we eat or drink, do all. And I said, so Joe... I want you to answer your own question as we've looked at the Bible. I didn't tell him. So the Bible says you shouldn't smoke, you shouldn't drink, you shouldn't do this. I said, so after we've looked at two or three verses here, Joe, what do you think the Bible says? He says, I think it tells me I shouldn't do this, that it's harmful to me and to my family. I said, only God could reveal that to you. And then I said, do you think that God would want you to stop? And he says, yes. And then I said, do you want to stop? And he says, yes. I says, do you believe that God can give you the power to stop? And he stopped for a minute and he just paused. And he says, I've been drinking since I was 12 years old. I've been on crack cocaine for like 20 years. He said, I, I thought I was doing good to stop drinking. I mean, to stop crack cocaine and be drinking and smoking. He said, I thought I was doing good. But he said, but now I realize that God wants to take me further. I said, do you believe God has the power to do that for you? And he said, yes. By the grace of God, he began to come out of that pit that he was in. And what I'll tell you is this, is that one of the most important principles you can learn about soul winning is not to make statements to people, but it's to ask them questions. If you look through the Gospels, you find how many times Jesus asked questions. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to to, to receive this? Uh, Do you want God to do this for you? And if you learn to ask questions, the Spirit of God begins to convict them, and it's like a million times more powerful if they speak the truth out of their own conviction than you just telling it to them. So in most of my Bible studies, I usually ask more questions than I make statements. And let me tell you, I get farther in one Bible study or one visit by asking the right questions than I do in 40 visits or 40 Bible studies making statements. That doesn't mean I don't make statements, okay? I still make statements. But the most important statements, the most important truths I want them to know, I ask it in the form of a question. And they respond. Now, if they give me the wrong answer, then I say, well, let's look at it from the Bible here. I let them read the verse and then they respond again. I ask them again, now what do you think? Now, what do you think after reading this verse? And then they usually come to the right answer. But it leaves such a more, more, much more powerful impression upon them if you ask them questions. You read through the Gospels. I will challenge you. Read through the Gospels and count the number of times Jesus asks questions. And you'll see. Okay? Alright, so... Approval and, and and acceptance. Accept people where they are. Don't expect them to come to you overnight. All right, the second one is what? Belief. There's a very powerful verse in Romans 14 that essentially says, God calls those things which are not as though they are. What does that mean? Tell me. That's right. He's, that's right. You know, when... Jesus sees people not as they are, but as they can want. Become. Think about that. You and your sins, when you were desperate and without hope, before you really accepted Christ, God didn't see you as you were. I mean, even though He does do that. He does see you as you are. But He sees you as you can want. That's why He sees the value in investing His own life to save you Because He sees you as you can become through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? He sees you as you can become. As Adventists, many times we forget to see people as they can become. We see them as they are. And we think, well, there's been people I've said even, that person would never respond to the invitation of God. Guess what? Some of those people are now deacons in the church, deaconesses in the church, elders in the church, right? they were baptized. Some of the people I just about gave up on and God made it clear to me not to give up on that person. They were baptized. Some of the people I thought, man, this person is for sure going to come into the church, never make it, never make it. Because these things are divine, they're not human. Are you with me? Only God knows these things. How does God see today? When God saw when Jesus saw Peter down by the seashore, how did he see him? How, what was the visible? What was the human the human uh, sight there he stunk probably had his back turned to Jesus he was probably cussing he was a sailor man right sailors cuss yes he's probably cussing and he smelt bad and Jesus came up to him and he said and he's just standing there and maybe Peter turns around and he sees Jesus and Jesus says what come follow me. He didn't see Peter as a stinky fisherman who was swearing. He saw him as one of the greatest preachers in the day of Pentecost, right? How does he see you today? What potential does God want to do through you? It's not what lies within you, it's what lies above, amen? But if it's going to come through you or not. And then the last one is C, confidence. Jesus didn't just see people as they could become. He also treated them as they would become. Does that make sense? So Jesus treated people as if he expected them to make the right decision. There's a difference in in speaking to someone and hoping they'll make the right decision versus speaking to them and expecting that they're going to make the right decision. Does that make sense? So when I study the Sabbath with people, I say, when, they, when I recognize, and I don't say it until they're convicted that, they, that this is the truth, but when they convict us through, I just say to them, I know that God's going to help you make the right decision. I know that you're going to experience such joy as you make this decision for Jesus. There was a man in our church, in Lansing Church, in fact, he's, uh, he's the husband of a uh, conference, one of the secretaries of the office. And this brother has attended the Adventist church for more than 20 years, more than 20 years, and he never made his decision. I can tell you that full story, but I I won't take too much time. But I just, just a couple of weeks ago, he was baptized, made his decision. And that's a miraculous story I don't have time to tell you now. However, I used to come up to him, and I used to use the confidence. Like, for instance, one Sabbath, he was standing at the door of the church with a, with a suit on. I came by and I said, I, I just kind of tapped him. I said, Bob, you look like a deacon. And then I walked off. I treated him as, as a member, as a deacon, like uh, saw him as he could become. He'll probably be a deacon in the next, next nominating committee. But when you treat people as they can become and you expect them to make the right decision, God opens the doors, doesn't he? Now, we're not talking about being pushy. We're not talking about being you know, what's the word, Uh, uh, not rambunctious, but uh, obnoxious. We're not talking about being obnoxious, but very sweetly, very kindly, very lovingly raising people up because that's what Jesus did. Amen? All right, now, more than 99% of all people will never make a personal effort to come to Christ. Did you know that? So what does that mean? That means that we need to what? We need to come to them. Amen? We need to go to them. Ellen White says, go to your neighbors one by one." One. Last Christmas, I took my son. We visited all of our neighbors. We took them some nice bread and, and, some, and some cookies or something. I don't know. But we went and visited all of our neighbors. And I had him give. If you have kids, it melts hearts. Amen? Go to them one by one and come close to them till their hearts are warmed by unselfish interest and love. Sympathize with them, pray with them, watch for opportunities to do them good, and as you can, gather a few together and open the Word of God to their darkened minds. This is how revival begins. This is how great soul-winning efforts begin. It doesn't begin with great speakers standing up and preaching. It begins with God's people, lay people, getting serious about the calling upon their lives to win souls, let me tell you, the calling upon your life to win souls to Christ is just as urgent in these times. It's just as important as the minister's call to be a pastor or being in full-time ministry. you realize that? In fact, I would probably say it's more important because the work of God is not dependent upon the pastor. It's dependent upon the people. All right, let me just uh, keep moving here. And we, I've talked a little bit too much in the other section. In fact, I'm just going to jump ahead here. <clears throat> let, me, let me say this. Yeah, you'll get all this. If you look at this bottom statement, it says you cannot reach a 1,000 until you can reach one. There's so many people that used to come to AFCO and they I want to be an evangelist. I want to stand up and preach. I want to be like Mark Finley or whoever. You can't reach one person. Around the world begins across the street. Around the world begins across the street. Say that with me. Around the world begins across the street. It begins with your neighbors, your coworkers, the people coming to church, and so forth. All right. This is a soul-winning chart, and uh, I'll just quickly tell it to you. After, if you have a very talented evangelist like Mark Howard, and after a year, he, if he could win 1,000 people a day, I think he'd win 1,000 people a day. At the end of the year, he'd reach how many people? 365,000, right? After two years, how many? And it goes on down the line. And after eight years, man, he's hitting like 3 million people. He's the best-known speaker in the Adventist church. It's already true, but um, he becomes even more popular. But you have Joe Smith over here who reaches out to his neighbor and says, Hey, would you like to study the Bible with me? And his neighbor says, Sure, I'll study the Bible with you. And so they begin Bible studies, and at the end of the one year, uh, his neighbor, Bill, gets baptized. And uh, at the end of that year, uh, Bill's excited, Joe's excited, their faith has been revived, and, and Joe says to Bill, or how, whatever the names are, I don't remember. Number one says to number two, hey, would you like to learn how to share this with somebody else? And he says, sure. That's part of being a disciple, isn't it? So he trains his friend to share with somebody else, so his friend gets to study with his coworker, and then he finds another person to study with the second year. And so, at the end of the year, uh, year two, how many people have been won to the Lord? Four. It seems like it would be two, but actually, it's four because not only did the new people save the, were saved, but who else? The ones giving. Amen. So you go on down, and after eight years, the, you, you win one and train one. At the end of eight years. 256 people. Doesn't seem like Pastor Mark Howard is going to just ride on down the road, right? But then, look at this. It begins to what? Exponential potential. Amen? Exponential growth. Compound interest. Some of you might be wealthy in here because of compound interest. I don't know. He's almost caught up with Brother Mark Howard. But look at this. In just one more year, what's going to happen to this number? It's going to double. And then it's going to quadruple. And then, after 26 years, 67 million, nearly seven times, the great, mighty Adventist evangelist. Let me make this point clear. It is not Doug Batchelor. It is not Mark Finley. It is not Sean Boonstra. It is not 3ABN. It is not AFTV, Amazing Discoveries TV, or anything else like that that's going to finish the work of God. But it's going to be a means that the world would say it's ridiculous. It's going to be through you and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because God doesn't like to... I mean, He does use those things. I'm not saying He doesn't use those people. But if you're dependent upon those people, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Because we're going to just keep going on as we have been. This media was brought to you by Audioverse